Well, hi, everybody. My name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And wow, holy smokes, so many new people, so many newcomers on a holiday weekend. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful that, um, that you're here. I really am quite grateful that you're here. Um, so I, you know, the topic that I'm going to discuss tonight is growing our faith and strengthening our spirituality. And for those of you that are new here that are like wondering, what does this have to do with compulsive overeating? I'm here to tell you everything. This has everything to do with compulsive overeating that this particular problem um, is, is something that we, I, I was powerless over, meaning no human power could even make a dent in it. And so what was required and what is required is something much greater, is a higher power. And, um, you know, news alert, there is no spiritual part of the program. It is a spiritual program. That's what this program is about. So, um, so here's the topic. It's growing our faith and strengthening our spirituality. And just to give you like a quick little backdrop of me, um, I've recovered from compulsive overeating. I, at my worst, you know, I was living in a state where I was completely owned by my need to eat, by my, by food. I was over 300 pounds. I had a ton of knowledge about diets and weight loss and management and strategies. I would diet and lose all my weight or almost all my weight and then quickly regain it. And I repeated that a number of times. Um, in, in one of my attempts to control my weight, I decided that I was going to get on a treadmill and run off my calories. That was one of my ideas. I knew how many calories I had eaten. I would, I would have it calculated and I was gonna run those amount of calories off my body. I was not exercising for, to improve my heart. I was not exercising. I was exercising because I had to get the food out of me. And in that state, I actually broke my foot because a 300 pound woman should not be running on a treadmill. And I in, injured my foot and I went to the doctor and he gave me an injection with very strict instructions not to get back on the treadmill. And I'm a smart person and I ignored his advice because my foot felt better and I had eaten and I had to run on the treadmill. And, I, and that time I really broke my foot. So that's what this disease, that's what it looked like for me. So when I say that this is a spiritual solution, it means that I needed a God to intervene on my behalf, to get in between me and the food and in between me and the treadmill, right? Like I, needed, I needed like a break from that and I couldn't do it on my own power. So let's discuss faith, right? Faith, what is faith? Faith is the complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And the similar words to, to faith is trust, belief, confidence, conviction, reliance, dependence, optimism, hopefulness, hope, and expectation. Those are words that mean similarly to faith. And the opposite of faith is mistrust, having no trust. 
So faith, what I like to think of, faith is this internal belief. It's actually, for me, I think of it, it's more than a belief. It's the knowledge. It's this internal knowledge that my needs will be met. And that even if my earthly needs are not met, that I will ultimately be taken care of. Just have the sense that I will be taken care of. And faith can be described as the certainty that we are not alone, right? And in order to recover, we actually have to lose faith in ourselves. And then that's step one. And we begin to have faith in the only thing, the only thing that can relieve us, right? And in More About Alcoholism on page 30, it says, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. And this is the first step in recovery. The delusion, the delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. And I'd like to think that this smashing is the destruction of faith in myself. That's, that's the smashing that of myself, I cannot manage it and I cannot control it. And I, you know, and not only can I not manage and control this, but I can't manage to apply the knowledge and my own desire, right? I had knowledge of what I should eat and how I should stay away from the treadmill when, with an injured foot. And I had the desire to be healthy and be well, but I could not apply it on my own human power. And the loss of faith you know, in myself is a good thing and it needs to be 100% smashed and eradicated. The faith in myself has to be smashed. So for tonight though, we're gonna refocus on the necessity for strengthening our faith, not in ourselves, but in a higher power, right? And I love the AA 12 and 12. And in the AA 12 and 12, on step 12, it says this, page 109, from great numbers of such experiences, we could predict that the doubter who still claimed he hadn't got the spiritual angle and who still considered his well-loved AA group, the higher power, would presently love God and call him by name. I just think that's beautiful. Um, you know, and and it makes me think of a podcast that I had heard at one time about how um, in the beginning of recovery, you know, many newcomers struggle with the word God, right? They, they want to point out that, well, it's not God that I believe in. It's, it's my group. It's, it's something else. It's just not God. Like they, they want to like give credit to everything but to God, right? And and they don't like it. And they don't like the word and they're not going to say it and they won't use it. But this, this, this speaker that I heard mentions how people will say silly things like their doorknob is the higher power or the group or a chair, but nobody with 10 years sobriety is still calling the doorknob God. Nobody after a number of years of recovery calls other things God, and that at some point, the word comes to encompass 
whatever their own internal conception of God is to them. It's like, we just make this decision that it's okay, right? No more than okay, that it's welcomed, that we share a word, right? And that your conception of it could be different from mine, but we're just gonna call it by God. And we're not just gonna call it by God, we're gonna, we're gonna love it. Like that's what it says, that we're gonna call him by name. We're gonna presently love him and call him by name. And, um, you know, so I use the word God, right? And, and I use it freely. The book uses it and I use it freely. So, you know, for me, this kind of brings me to step two. And we find that in order for one to recover, it's going to be necessary that we come to a place where we have faith that some kind of power exists that can restore our sanity. And how do we increase this faith? Right. What do we do to increase our faith? And in the appendix of the big book, the spiritual experience, we're told on page 568 that most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. And we find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery. But these are indispensable. There, you know, and then it goes on to say that there's a principle, which is a bar, which is a block, right? against all information, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. And that principle is contempt prior to investigation. Okay, so there's a lot there, right? To increase faith, here's a list. I've got some things that we can do. I love lists. So here's a list of some things that we can do to increase faith. One, Willingness, we need willingness. Two, honesty, gotta be honest. If you wanna have faith, you must be honest. Three, open-mindedness. Four, investigating without contempt. So if you're investigating without contempt, then you're checking things out, right? You're investigating, you're looking at things with admiration and awe. That's the opposite of the contempt. And to me, this means that I am seeking with delight and with the intention of finding. I'm expecting to not only find, but to like the act of seeking and to delight in whatever it is I find. So I'm setting my intention that I'm, I intend to enjoy the endeavor of looking and I intend to enjoy what I find. And I think we have great powers of suggestion within, within our own minds. We can, we can help ourselves enjoy things when we set about an intention to do it instead of with a begrudging attitude, but with the spirit of delight. And in the paragraph, it says defeat happens when we have an attitude of intolerance 
and belligerent denial. So if you want to increase your faith, what we need is the opposite of belligerent denial, right? So we need tolerance and an easygoing acceptance and agreement. So those are two more things on the list. Five is to have tolerance. If you want to be more faithful, if you want to have more faith, get, you know, grow in tolerance. And six, easygoing acceptance and agreement. Seek to be easygoing, accepting, and agreeable. And if I can, you know, spend some time really delving into these, these ideas, these six ideas. Okay, willingness. What does it mean when I said on that list is willingness? Willingness means that doing things that are suggested, even if you don't want to. Willingness doesn't mean you have to like it. Willingness is essential. That's what it says. It's essential. And how do we cultivate willingness? What do we do to, to, to be willing? Well, I, I say willingness is 10 parts desperation. And chances are, if you're new here on a Monday, Labor Day weekend, and you're hoping to find something, maybe you have the seeds of desperation or you remember when you've had those seeds of desperation. Desperation is good for people who want to be willing. You know, and I'd say desperation is the disease's job, right? I had lots of things that made me desperate. By the way, that treadmill with a broken foot made me really desperate. That was one, you know, experience of desperation. Um, um, you know, I, I had this attitude of smug superiority at one point. Believe it or not, my smug superiority made me desperate too because it kept me in everlasting ignorance, right? It kept me ignorant. Um, you know, so I'd say like willingness is 10 parts desperation and just a little sprinkle of hope. So maybe you came here desperate, but my God, I think you also came here with a, with a sprinkle of hope. Otherwise you wouldn't have called in. You wouldn't have gotten on your computer. You wouldn't like we come to these because hope exists. Hope is the flame that cannot be snuffed out, right? It exists, it's there. And, um, you know, so how do, we, how do we cultivate more hope? How do we gather up more hope? Well, early on, I got hope from seeing others and hearing their stories. Watching others recover today, it still gives me hope. When I see other people in this program, change in a matter of weeks. That gives me even more hope in many areas of my life. It increases my faith all the time because I know I've seen the way that we've all come in here and how quickly it changes. Therefore, I know that there's hope. I know that that exists. Um, I love, you know, I love to read stories of hope. I ask people to tell me about their recovery. I celebrate small demonstrations of hope. You know, for me, a student that makes huge academic gains despite difficulties learning, those things give me hope. You know, I've had new neighbors that moved in that have taken houses that were eyesores and in a short amount of time, it looks like a brand new place to live. Those things give me hope. Those things kind of renew my faith. You know, it's like, a situation that seems to be going one way and then suddenly turns around 
Those kind of things give me hope. And I search out with the intention of finding miracles, right? And I, I shared before, one of the things that really gave me tremendous hope is um, we had a rotting onion on the counter and it was starting to sprout. And my daughter thought, let me stick it in and see what happens. Let me stick it in a little soil and see what happens. And I've shared before with people what happened. It grew and it grew this gorgeous long stem with some beautiful white flowers on the top, right? And that's a God. To me, that is demonstration of a God who takes a stinky rotting onion and turns it into a flower. I couldn't do it, right? I couldn't do it. But, but there is a God that he can. So I search out with the intention of finding miracles and I celebrate those miracles. You know, I share them and I give credit to them. Um, okay, so honesty. Honesty is another essential for growing faith. And how does honesty build up my faith? Well, you know, if I'm honest, I'm saying I trust. Being honest, we place ourselves in what feels like very vulnerable positions, right? In it's the act of the faithful. When we honestly come before one another, when we honestly come before God and, and we say, here's the truth. And I'm no longer gonna try to manipulate the story to get my objective met. It's the act of the faithful, right? It's really trusting and relying. You know, um, even if you don't believe, I love Janet has this beautiful prayer and I think it's the first act, it's the first honest act that some people take. Even telling God that I don't believe in you is the act of the faithful, is the way to grow your faith. And her prayer is this. It says, God, I don't know if you're there and I don't, and, and I don't know if you care, but if you are there and if you do care, I need help, right? And, and that's the act of the faithful. That's a huge step into trust, into faith. And I say, you're not sure, pray that one for a while and see if, see if things don't change for you. Just, just watch and see if you don't start praying, if things don't start changing. Um, okay, so outside of being honest, open-mindedness, the quality of being willing to consider ideas and opinions that are new or different from your own. Being open-minded means admitting that you aren't all-knowing, right? That you are not the all-knowing power, that there might be something you don't know. And it means that believing that whatever truth you might find might always have even more to it than you realize. And so how do we become more open-minded, right? If we come here and our minds are closed, you know, how then do we open up our minds? And many people find that the set aside prayer is one way that they can really help open up their minds, you know? And so the, here's a version of the set aside prayer. There's many of them. This is the one that I 
I like. It's God, please help me to set aside everything I think I know about you, everything I think I know about myself, everything I think I know about others, and everything I think I know about my own recovery for a new experience in you, God, a new experience in myself, a new experience in my fellows, and a much needed new experience in my own recovery. Amen. And so, you know, um, and they say like, if prayer can't get you to open your mind, um, the food might have to convince you. Like that's one of the things that we're told. And page 48, and we agnostic, it says, faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on all spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was the great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. So for years, I want to say that my mind was wide open. I had this mind that was crazy and wide open to schemes and crazy ideas for weight loss. And in fact, the crazier the idea, the more extreme and the more expensive and the less logical, the more I was open to it. You know, my mind was always ready to abandon logic and rational thought in search of a miracle cure. But somehow a miracle from God sounded to me at the time hokey and made up, right? I was gonna, I was gonna put all my faith in the cabbage soup diet. That's what I always say. I put all my faith in the cabbage soup diet and I have yet to meet a person who has reached a healthy body weight and maintained it from eating cabbage soup, right? But this God idea sounded made up to me. And really what convinced me was the food. I was open-minded when I ran out of options. And I attempted at the beginning to use my intelligence and it failed. You know, it didn't bring me the power that I needed. I opened my mind a bit to consider the spiritual side and I found that that act of humility allowed the power to rush in. God met me where I was at. And that's consistently been my experience, you know? So how do we keep an open mind? How do you maintain and keep an open mind? Well, question yourself. Ask yourself the questions about your spiritual beliefs. Investigate, investigate further. Reach out to different people in the fellowship. Ask others how they came to believe. I had a fabulous conversation with someone today who heard me share something about, about agnosticism and about my belief and about my faith. And she questioned it, not in a combative attitude, but in a real attitude of curiosity. To me, she was a perfect demonstration of an open mind. And you know, another thing that I do is um, I ask people how they came to believe. What were their experiences? I listen to shares where God is the hero. And I, and I listen for what is it in those people? What is it about the way that they work their program that they give credit where credit is due? Um, you know, I've changed where I've meditated at times. You know, if I want to keep an open mind and I start, I 
try a different meditation. I, and I stopped making assumptions and judgments. I stopped saying things like, oh, well, I would never dot, dot, dot. Or yeah, I just don't relate to dot, dot, dot. Or that's not my thing. Like I, I kind of suspend that attitude and I consider, I consider other ideas. You know, the next concept I wanna explore is seeking with delight and with the intention of finding. And step two in the AA 12 and 12 on page 33 says, true humility and an open mind can lead us to faith. And every AA meeting is an assurance that God will restore us to sanity if we rightly relate ourselves to him. So attend meetings with an investigative spirit. Listen to meetings with a pad next to you. Write down new ideas. Call people who say things that speak to you. Ask questions with true curiosity and not trying to show that you're smart right? There's a difference. We can hear the difference. When I'm asking a question to try to prove my position, to try to pin someone down, that is not seeking with an investigative spirit and delight. But if I'm really asking because I want to learn and grow, if I'm really asking because I heard them mention something about God, that piques my curiosity, that whets my appetite, that's a different kind of question. And I'd say questioning is the deliberate action of a seeker. Seekers ask questions. It leads us to deepen our faith. And, you know, I used to tune out the shares that I didn't like, right? I would call in a meeting and, ugh, I don't want to hear this person. And I would tune them out. I would even lower my my volume. And to me, I'd say that's contempt, that's contempt prior to investigation. I'm making a judgment about what someone's going to say before it even came out of their mouth. And I try to call myself out on this. And I try to ask God to help me seek, actively seek, listen with the intention of finding him. Um, you know, another thing that I do is I, I share prayers. I share podcasts with fellows. I find that I receive many of these from my fellows as well. You know, if you put out the energy of a seeker, other seekers reach out to you. If you post to a friend or somebody a prayer, something spiritual that you've read, you'll be surprised. You get them back tenfold because they, they start recognizing that this is a person that I'm going to speak about God with. And the more I bring God into the dialogue, the more I grow, the more I grow in this. And we agnostics on page 46, it says, God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. So when I pray and meditate, I do it with an optimistic spirit. I expect to feel God and I find that I see and I feel what I look for. 
you know, and one of the things I tell people is if you go outside and you look on the ground and you look for ants, you find them, right? If you go outside and you start looking up in the trees and you want to find birds, they're there. You find them. I have to, I have to have the same intention. I need to enter the world looking for God. You know, and, and so I'd say like, I call that setting my intention and I do that. My intention, I set a goal, an objective, an intention and a purpose. Each morning I ask God to reveal himself to me today. Help me see you today, God. You know, and I'd say that the big book actually makes it sets its intention it's very clear you know by the way that's an instructional practice that teachers do we call it we write our aim on the board we let the students know what the intention of the lesson is because it readies the mind to receive the lesson so if i want my students to know that the objective of this lesson is they are going to be able to identify the characters in the text right they're gonna to listen to hear the characters. I have to have the same intention when I'm looking for God. I set my intention, I'm going to see God today. And the big book sets its intention too. It says it very clearly. It tells us on page 45, but where and how were we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. And that means we've written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. And it means, of course, that we're gonna talk about God. So the whole point of these steps, the book tells us right away, is to assist us in finding God. So if I hope to find something, then my first direction should be to start looking, right? If that's my hope, then, then right away, my direction better be start looking. In the AA 12 and 12, step 12 says, page 108 to 109, it says in step 11, we saw that if a higher power had restored us to sanity and had enabled us to live with some peace of mind in a sorely troubled world, then such a higher power was worth knowing better by as direct contact as possible. The persistent use of meditation and prayer we found did open the channel so that where there had been a trickle, there now was a river which led to sure power and safe guidance from God as we were increasingly better able to understand him. That's amazing that we actually get to understand. Can you imagine human beings get to better understand God? And I have found that in order to grow my faith, my trust in God, that I need to spend time with God. That's what it says, persistent practice, persistent. Time spent in prayer and meditation is time I give to forming this trusting relationship. And in practical terms, 
you know, um, I pray by speaking directly to God. You know, I have specific prayers. I want to cultivate a relationship with God. I've got prayers for all the key players in my life, for all the people that God placed right here with me. I, I petition God. I pray. I pray for these people. I pray that I can better be useful for these people that God placed in my life. I pray for my children, my husband, my coworkers, other people, you know, anybody on my resentment list. I pray for my mother. I pray for my fellows. I had a prayer for, you know, for all sorts of troubles in the world. Um, all situations that fill me with fear and frustration are situations where I must go to my loving creator. And, you know, one of the things that I've done as part of my practice is um, I, I'm like a collector of prayers. I love prayers. If somebody sends me a prayer and I like it, I make it my own. I tweak it. I change a word. I change a verb. I change something. And once it feels like it's mine, like it feels like it's me speaking directly to my creator, I often take it and I record my voice saying it and I have it on my voice recorder option. And then in moments of unsettled feelings, I can just play it and listen to it. And it's a persistent practice where in times of discomfort, I listen to feel God's presence, right? And those are some things that I do. Um, you know, in order to grow my faith, I have to like the act of seeking. That's part of it too. And when I'm asked by fellows how, you know, when people say, well, I struggle to pray and meditate, I suggest that you fall in love with your practice. If you don't like your prayer and meditation practice, find a way to like it, change it embrace it. I, I view it like, it's like a smorgasbord for me. It's the buffet that I can actually taste things at now. I might not be able to go to the buffet with an empty plate, but I can surely do it with prayer and meditation. If I keep an open mind, I'm willing to listen to other people's prayers, other people's meditation practices and try it and try it. And, you know, if I, if I do it with an, with an obligatory position, right? I think about it like, like a friend where it feels like a chore and a burden to get together with them. And those are the friendships that fall by the wayside. But the friends that I love being with are the ones where it just feels good and natural that I can speak to honestly. And that's the way that I want to build my relationship with them. Grow in faith. You go to God like with that kind of spirit. Okay, so now I want to have an attitude of tolerance and easygoing acceptance. And remember that it's said that intolerance and belligerent denial can keep us from building up a reserve of faith. So if I want to increase my faith, then I will need to trust God with the management of others. I have to strengthen myself by not paying such close attention to every little feeling of discomfort. And I can learn to tolerate others' ideas and perspectives and accept that different people do things differently. I have to get a little thicker skinned, right? That's what I say. That's what tolerance is for me. 
I can accept that I'm not gonna get my way most of the time, even if my way is the right way, right? The less attached I am to the outcomes, the more I trust God. And the more I trust God, the more my faith grows, right? God is in charge of the outcomes. Um, you know, in times of crisis, I go to God with that, with that spirit. In times of difficulty, I go to God. I've even honestly said to God, I don't like your plan. This is not the plan I want. Your plan stinks. <laughs> but I trust you. God, I'm yours and I trust you. And that's what I say. And I've said it, you know, when I haven't liked something with my kids, <laughs> I say, God, he's yours and I trust you. God, she's yours and I trust you. God, this is yours and I trust you. Um, you know, and now I wanna talk, oh my goodness, we're like almost getting to the end. Strengthening spirituality, right? Here's the other thing. Why are we focusing on the strengthening of our spirituality? Why do I have to strengthen it? And in We Agnostics, it says on page 44, to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face, right? Why focus on spirituality? Because I have only two choices, do it or die, right? Drastic, right? Yep. But when you're clearly out of options, I surrendered my arrogance. That's what I surrendered. I surrendered my right to be arrogant. And I think, and there's a solution on bottom page 25. This is what it is for me entirely. I think this is everything. This is why I must, I must seek and I must be willing to let go of, of the idea of agnosticism. I know we come here agnostic, but I have to be willing to let go of my agnosticism because it tells me on page 25 that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences. And that's the only thing that we have, a deep and effective spiritual experience, which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, toward our fellows and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty. We're absolutely certain that God, that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish the things for us which we could not do by ourselves. So we are absolutely certain certain, not thinking that maybe there really can't be a God, or maybe we can't be 100% sure of it. Agnosticism means that like, it's okay if you come here agnostic, but we're supposed to be willing to lose it. We're supposed to be willing to come to the great fact of absolute certainty, right? So agnosticism is the belief that nobody can believe for sure, that we can never be 100% certain, and that in fact, nobody can. That's what it means to be agnostic. And yet here it says that we are absolutely certain. 
right? So I have to be absolutely certain. How do I grow in my certainty? By growing my spirituality. And I'm, you know what, I'm going to stop at this time and maybe I know there's a little bit, I want to get to it. So I'm going to put a bookmark in it and maybe next week I'll come to the spirituality aspect because there's a lot, there's like a lot more to say about it. So I'm going to pass at this point.